It's Thursday, February 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. High inflation is now hitting you in another place you might not expect, your car insurance. Many insurers are raising their rates by 6 to 8%, and in extreme cases, are asking for double-digit increases. Rates are going up to offset higher costs for car repairs, replacements, and rentals. Leslie Sism, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for these increases coming at a time when traffic and accidents have risen from pandemic lows. Next, a new attitude is beginning to take shape with a pandemic. People are over it and ready to move on. 64% of the U.S. is fully vaccinated, and many have natural immunity from prior infection. Democratic governors are beginning to relax pandemic rules, and cases are dropping at a rapid rate. Lenny Bernstein, health and medicine reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for the shifting attitude toward the pandemic. Finally, a story about a man who unknowingly left behind almost $230,000 at a Las Vegas slot machine. Robert Taylor hit a jackpot in January, but then the machine malfunctioned. Thinking he didn't win, he walked away. After the casino fixed the machine, they found he did indeed win the money and then took on the difficult task of tracking him down. Andrea Salcido, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Sometimes consumers may see two increases this year. Insurers say they've got a very serious problem and they have got inflation coming at them from all angles, really. Joining us now is Leslie Sism, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Leslie. My pleasure. Thank you. Wanted to talk about uh, another after effect of what's going on with all of the inflation we're experiencing. Obviously, we're seeing rising prices for just about everything. Now we're starting to see it with car insurance. Uh, insurers are starting to uh, raise rates 6 to 8% in some cases. Sometimes double-digit increases is what they're asking for. And uh, obviously, it's getting harder for the public to start paying for all this stuff. We're seeing the prices of car repairs go up, replacements, rentals. Everything is kind of all rolled in together. So, Leslie, what are we seeing with this? We are going to see a year of rate increases and some uh, policies are typical six-month contracts. So insurers will be renewing those contracts at higher prices for many people across the United States. Sometimes consumers may see two increases this year. Insurers say they've got a very serious problem and they have got inflation coming at them from all angles, really. Tell me a little bit about how insurers were going through the pandemic, because early on, the lockdowns were pretty good for them. Everybody was shut in. Obviously, people weren't driving that much. So accidents were less. Claims were uh, a lot less. But then, you know, the second half of 2021, they really struggled as everybody started getting back there. Uh, You know, we're seeing traffic increase uh, and, and accidents increase now. Um, That's correct. In 2020, when the pandemic began sweeping the United States and the lockdowns went into effect, the highways just went vacant. Suddenly, all the big interstates just were devoid of traffic. And that meant wrecks were going to decline. The number of miles driven is one of the best indicators of how many wrecks we we will have. So people's cars were parked. The uh, consumer advocates and regulators, state insurance regulators, put some pressure on insurers to refund some money to consumers since 
people were had their cars parked that they were getting angry. Why should I keep paying what I'm paying when my car's in my driveway? I'm not out driving cars. So there were some voluntary programs and some push by the regulators. Then inflation began hitting toward the end of 2021, and the insurers suddenly weren't making profits hand over fist in the underwriting of car insurance, but were starting to post losses in the underwriting, meaning they were sending more money out the door in claims and claims handling than they were bringing in for each premium dollar. So, th- I mean, this is an adjustment to the beginning of the pandemic, but add inflation and it's, uh, you know, uh, even more, the increase is going on even more. And then let's talk about what the effects of it are, right? The domino effects of what happened. So we're seeing more claims being put in. They're spending more money on that, all that. So we have more uh, repairs, more replacement cars. You know, the prices of uh, rental cars is going up. We have a shortage of newer vehicles. Body shops are taking longer to make the repairs. You know, these right. this is the big domino effect that happens because of it now. All of um, your listeners have uh, know that used car prices have soared. Well, as used car prices have gone up 30, 40, 50% over a 12-month period, that matters to car insurers because if you go wreck your car and total it and the insurance company needs to replace your car, they figure out the value of your car. Well, the value of your car is related to what that car would have sold in the market as a used car. So, People's car policies don't have caps. You know, it's not like you buy a policy for $45,000 to replace your car. Instead, you buy for your car to be replaced if you wreck it. So the insurance companies suddenly are facing a lot higher cost, you know, to pay people for total vehicles than they expected when they you know, sold those policies some months ago. Yeah. So what we're seeing is uh, increases, as we've been mentioning. So all state is uh, raising them an average of 7.1% across 25 states. Progressive is seeking an increase that they don't have it yet, but they're looking to see if they can get 17% increases in certain locations. I mean, that is a lot. You did mention in the article, there could be some minor relief for consumers to limit these uh, increases. Uh, some could be as simple as switching your insurers. You know, it's highly competitive, so people want your business. But what else can people do to try to save some money? The mutual insurers so far have raised prices less than the publicly traded insurance companies. State Farm Mutual, for example, is the nation's biggest car insurer. And I interviewed them, and they said they have so far this year raised rates by 2 to 3% in four states. And that compares with the numbers you rattled off earlier, which is a lot of the publicly traded insurance companies like Allstate, Travelers, Progressive, just big names like that. They're raising rates on average six to eight percent. So one way you can save is to go check out the mutuals and see if if you can get a better deal. There also are telematics programs where you will agree to have a smartphone app running when you're driving and the insurer will get access to information about your speeding, your hard braking, how many miles you're driving. If you're a really good driver, you can get a discount that way. So if you're willing to provide that information to your insurance company, you may be able to get a discount that way that would take away the sting of these increases. Leslie Sism, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Thank you. My pleasure.
while we are working hard to get out of this crisis mode, we do need to look downfield to see what uh, living with COVID outside of crisis will look like. Joining us now is Lenny Bernstein, health and medicine reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Lenny. Thanks for having me. Wanted to bring you on to talk about the shifting attitudes again going on right now with the pandemic. You know, we've been here before where this moment where we feel the surge has been dying down. People are ready to get back to normal, you know, and then another surge comes up or something like that. So we've kind of been on this roller coaster, but right now it seems to be taking hold a little bit stronger now. People are ready to move on. You made mention of other uh, other news outlets uh, writing up stories, you know, vaxxed and done. People just being, you know, we've taken all the precautions we can. We're ready to move on with all of this stuff. But Lenny, walk us through some of this. What are we seeing out there? Yeah, I think you've touched on some of the high points there. A number of things are just coming together at the same time. Number one, we're vaccinated. 64% of us are fully vaccinated. And then a chunk of those folks have boosters. So they're feeling pretty good about their protection. It held against Omicron, certainly against severe disease and hospitalization. Yes, they may have gotten infected, but it was generally mild if you had the vaccine and the booster. Right. And even Um, even those that have had natural infection already, too. I mean, that offers them at least some type of protection. Exactly. Another chunk of people have had the disease. And so they have natural immunity. And you can, to a certain extent, according to the research, add them to the group that's protected. The next thing is that Omicron is not fading. It's dropping like a rock. 30 and 40 percent down week over week. That's a lot. And people are starting to feel better about the direction that's going in. You know, it's still at very high levels two, three hundred thousand cases a day, but it's dropping really fast. And then I think the third thing is the number of months we've been dealing with this. We're now fully into the 24th month of this pandemic and people are exhausted. They are more willing to take their chances now than they were, I think, during any of the previous five surges. You did make mention the article, though we have been through this before. We've unfortunately been wrong a lot of times with these up and downs, this roller coaster, these new variants have been popping up. And that's one of the things that a lot of health experts still say, we don't know when that next variant could come up. Yeah, the health experts would rather that we not move quite as quickly as we are with the shedding the mask mandates that you mentioned. They would like us to be a little more cautious, but politicians reflect the desires of their constituents and their constituents have had it. You know, their constituents want to get back to normal or as close as possible. And so I think that's why the mask mandates are going away. Now, like you said, we've been here before. Try to remember the week before Thanksgiving. Nobody had heard of Omicron. Nobody. And we were coming out of Delta and we were like, great, just in time for the holidays. Well, look what Omicron did to December and January. Just completely uh, put us right back where we were. So who knows? There could be a variant bubbling up somewhere on this planet right now that will send us into a sixth surge, and we're going to be back to square one. One of the things with the pandemic that we've been following obviously has been the health impacts of the whole thing, but the economic impact is the other half of things. And to the point of what we're talking about, right, this new attitude taking shape, people wanting to move on and just start getting back to normal and even invest in themselves and their businesses again. Uh, You profile the guy who's runs like a a restaurant bar and he's ready to open up two new locations. You know, he's not waiting for it anymore. He's kind of tired of sitting on those sidelines and is just going to go for it now. Yeah, it's not like he wants to open two new businesses in the middle of a pandemic. Who would want to do that? But 
he also isn't going to wait for an unpredictable pandemic to run his business life any longer. He went ahead with his plans, which began in the middle of last year, and he's not putting them off. He does have supply chain problems a little bit, so that's going to make his life a little bit more difficult than it would if there were no pandemic. There may still be masks on his waiters and waitresses. Maybe the customers will come in with masks, but he's past the time where he's going to just not do anything because of the pandemic. If you look at the economic data that comes out every week, there are employers out there looking for hundreds of thousands of people to come work in their businesses. So the economy remains strong. It's finding the people to work as we move forward and try to get ourselves back to as close as we were before the yeah. as we can before the pandemic opens up. Uh, Lenny, you've been on the podcast number of to- a number of times now, and we've always talked about this kind of same general thing, right? When is it going to be over? When are we getting there? And this attitude is changing now. You uh, you had uh, it in your article, fatigued, frustrated, and frazzled. That's what we've all been going through. A lot of people have already moved on to this next phase of just living with it. It seems like everybody else now is just catching up. The virus is not going away. It's going to become endemic. It's going to become a part of our society. What we have to do is get it to the place where we currently have the flu. It's a threat seasonally. We'll be vaccinated against it seasonally, if not more often than that. But it, its chances of putting us in the hospital or killing us will go down and down until we don't notice it any more than we notice the flu. And that's the world we're aiming for. That's the world that people who have moved on are already feeling like they are sort of living in. Lenny Bernstein, health and medicine reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Next time, I hope we're talking about something else. I mean, who can imagine that you're winning two hundred, nearly $230,000, like, exactly. betting for a couple of minutes. So I don't blame him for going to dinner and being like, I don't, I don't have time for this. Joining us now is Andrea Salcedo, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Andrea. Thank you for having me. I wanted to talk about this pretty fun story I was seeing circulating around. So there was a man, his name is Robert Taylor. On January 8th, he was in Las Vegas. I love Vegas. He was at Treasure Island Hotel and Casino, and he was playing a slot machine. It looked like he might have hit a jackpot, but the machine was malfunctioning. He had dinner reservations, and he said, you know what? I don't have time for this. I'm going to leave But he ended up winning that jackpot, and the casino had to track him down for it. Andrea, tell us what's going on with this story. So pretty much you settled the scene quite perfectly. He has dinner reservations set up for his family, and he had just been playing for a couple of minutes. And then he gets this message in the machine saying, resolving progressive price, please wait. And he waited for a couple of minutes, the casino staff according to the investigators who talked to me, had never seen an issue like this. So they gave him the $40 that he had kind of like, you can say, invested in the machine. Right. And he just took an Uber and went to his dinner reservations. Uh, You know, at that point, I don't know if I would have left or I at least would have left my name and number because when you hit the slots, you know you at least hit the right numbers or, you know, the right uh, icons that you need for a win and it. And it said it was resolving the progressive win. That means you were hitting that jackpot. So I know he got frustrated and probably had somewhere to go. But at that point, I'm not leaving. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess he he was vacationing and his family maybe was like, we need to go. I'm like, you know, maybe it's not worth it. Like, who right. knows how much I won, right? I mean, who can imagine that you're winning two hundred, nearly two hundred and thirty thousand dollars? Like, exactly, betting for a couple of minutes. So, I don't blame him for going to dinner and being like, I don't, I don't have time for this. So I'll let's enjoy Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> now, what happened next was really interesting because. They, you know, he left, whatever, everything was done. And he went back home. He was from Arizona. It took the casino a couple of days to actually fix the machine, in which case they saw there was a jackpot that was hit. And the next part of the story really goes to show you that they can track just about anyone down in Las Vegas. Tell me about how the casino tracked him down, because they went through really great lengths to find him. Yeah, so the casino says, okay, someone hit the jackpot. We don't know who this person is, but it's nearly $230,000. And, like, this money doesn't belong to us. This money doesn't belong to the state. This money at this point does not belong to a machine. We cannot find him. So they go to the Nevada Gaming Control Board seeking help. Like, let us, you know, track this person down. We don't know if this was a man or a woman. And that's when the Nevada Gaming Control Board pretty much did a pretty, I would say, outstanding job trying to track him down. They went through hours of surveillance video across multiple gaming properties, like multiple gaming casinos, pretty much trying to, like, retrace his steps. They interviewed witnesses. And eventually, at some point, they didn't think they were going to be able to crack the case. I mean, I talked to the chief investigator who's been doing this for 27 years, and he said, we pretty much hit a a dead end at at this point. Like, we thought we weren't going to find the person. And then the Nevada Transportation Authority shares some ride-sharer, like ride-hailing data And they managed to track the driver of this Uber. And the receipt led to a credit card who was not on the name of Robert Taylor, but was on the name of like a family member. The Nevada Gaming Control Board calls this family member and says, we think you might be the family member of Robert Taylor who won this really big prize. Can you confirm your whereabouts on that day? Can you send us pictures? Uh, of what you were wearing at the casino, what you did at the casino, what you were wearing at dinner, and everything matched. So pretty much the Nevada Gaming Board went back to the casino and said, we found the guy, you know, it's time for you to call him and say, you won nearly (laughs) $230,000. So I guess the Gaming Board said that if they failed to locate him, then that prize would have just kind of gone back into the machine until somebody else hit it? Yep, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, they said we would have done, you know, a more thorough, we would have tried at least for a couple more weeks, but if not, like, that money would have gone back to the machine, and it's the next lucky winner who would have won that prize, and even more, depending on what other people were betting, because the price would have increased. Andrea Salcido, reporter at the Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.